It's your Kali. What's up? The following program was brought to you by Yodokali, keeping it weird since 1997. Oh. Who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here. Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. Huh? Ah! Ah! Now nah, you gotta do it like this. What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content, tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago. As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossip-spilling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to. Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode. The chances are low, but never zero. So strap in, and let's get into the show! Hello, everyone. Welcome to What's Up on WLPN LP Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM Chicago, live from Studio A. I am Eileen, and I am here with Sam, E, Araceli, Maru, Ariandi. Welcome to this episode, Humans in the Chicago Art Scene, where we talk all about what goes on in the background of the art you see everywhere. We'll be covering topics such as art, art hierarchies, the history of Chicago art what it's like to pursue your passions and make a living off your art and being self-taught versus schooled. We talked to a couple of Chicago artists like Zena Lopez and Gabby. We even got to talk to Baby Brown Art and vendors at Get Flea and got some opinions on art from people at the Art Institute. To transition us into the show, we're going to share some of our first-hand experiences growing up with art. To start us off, do you all remember your first experience with art or making art? I'm going to start off and just say um, I my first experience with art was just watching my sister do it because she, she, she was an artist herself. Um, she was always painting or making something, just creating like absolute shenanigans, honestly. <laughs> and I love the chaos of it all. And somehow, like, I guess, like, just watching her, I wanted to be like her. So I started just, like, mimicking everything that she was doing. And that kind of just started off my, my passion into art. Uh, what about you, um, Ariandi? Um, well, ever since I was a kid, I would draw. Um, my brother used to do a lot of graffiti back in the day, so I got inspired from him. But I never really do, like, lettering anymore. I used to, but just not my thing. But, yeah, I remember, like, when I was a kid, the first things I would draw were, like, you know, like, kid stuff, like flowers and stuff. But then I started getting more serious, and I started drawing animals, and that's when I started taking art more seriously. I can relate to that, um, you guys seeing your siblings and that inspiring you to find your own way in art because uh, both of my siblings are very like art-oriented, so I grew up seeing that and that inspired me to just venture out into my own path of what art meant for me. I love hearing that. Um, I love like when families introduce you to art. I feel like that's definitely how I was introduced. My parent, like would constantly take us to museums and just try to expose us to as much like art and just like history especially in Chicago as they could. I also like joined the choir at my elementary school when I was like in first or second grade and yeah music has always been like an art form that's been in my life. I definitely agree Maru. Um, I remember the first time I made art was with my grandma actually we uh did jewelry making and it was like all through like summer of fifth grade or something so yeah and I remember like making so much that I like set up a table outside of her um 
her house and like sold my jewelry with my cousin so yeah we were, we were making that bank too yeah for me my first experience was uh seeing my aunt she's uh she lives in mexico but whenever she would come and visit like she would just show me how to like do like these art techniques and different things um i still have this one drawing that she made when i was like 10 it's just like a like a drawing of an eye but it's like it was probably one of the first things that i was like yo this is so cool like I wanted to like recreate it, so like I just be drawing, <laughs> I just be drawing eyes now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, because of my aunt, like I got really into art and just like different things and like art museums, especially. I think it's like so cool. Um, and then like aside from drawing, like I also did like dance for like three months, which it was like a fun experience, but I probably won't do it again. But it was fun, you know, while it lasted. So yeah. Yeah, it's so cool hearing, like, the different experiences we all have. Like, you took dance classes, jewelry classes, um, choir. I also, I took crochet classes in uh, when I was, like, nine. And I was just, I hated it in the beginning, to be honest. I was just, like, not patient with it at all. But, you know, we each find our own, like, little hobbies that we grow to love. Um, and it also, like, we can see how our family and your uprising really has a lot to do with how you look at art. Um, which brings me to one of my next questions. Did you grow up believing one kind of art was superior to another? I want to say that um, not really. Um, as, as I'm, so it makes me really happy that you guys were exposed to museums so early because I haven't, didn't walk into like, the art institute until like, I was like a fully grown like, teenager, which maybe it sounds like a, like a little bit of like an oxymoron. But... Um, I just didn't have that kind of experience. And I didn't realize that, like, my only experience with art museums was just, like, seeing them in, like, Disney Channel. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, like, that Wizard of Waverly Place episode within the art museum. That's my only experience. I thought that was only for movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was real. Um, so I just never was exposed to, like, that kind of, like, I guess, like, sophisticated art, per se. Um, so I just, like, all the art was kind of, like, just the same to me. Um, as young when I was younger I feel like I definitely did have like a preference of art like I didn't really like realism that much like I love cartoon stuff like graffiti like my brothers would like be doing lettering and stuff and that's really what I look for and like especially in the art community like online when you get into like fandoms and stuff like just like there's a lot of people who like copy like the cartoon characters and like just like do fan art so I was like fan art is top tier like to me like like that's where I want to be in my career but like as I got older, there's definitely my preference. My preferences definitely changed. Um, but I still don't really um, prefer realism. But that's just like a personal aspect when we're talking about visual art. Um, let's just talk about visual art, like music or anything like that's cool. Like that's not my medium. I, I I don't I can't talk about it. But but yeah, when I was younger, I definitely feel like I had more preferences that I did now. <laughs> just hearing you talk about Disney, just so many flashbacks <laughs> came back. Um, but yeah, I think the fact that I was exposed to so many just like kinds of art early on made me appreciate everything equally, especially growing up in Pilsen. Like you, you, I saw art every single day. And personally, I count, you know, the graffiti in the alley as art. And I had a lot of people try to put those opinions on me like, oh, is basura or just like really um, being negative about, you know, graffiti or just like street art um but i never really like i never really believed 
that as well. I was just, it was just art to me. It was just people expressing themselves. And I thought it was just really unique that I personally, that people could put their own art on the walls of, you know, the city, like, and sometimes get in trouble for it. But, you know, there's, I don't know. I I thought it was really cool. Um, But yeah, I think all art is awesome at all different mediums and forms. On the topic of street art, I love it, honestly. I think it's like a little surprise, kind of, like, or gift. You, like, walk around and, you know, you turn the corner of a building or, you know, you're driving in a car and, you know, like, the highway is so gray and bleak and, like, there it is, like, a pop of color that you didn't expect. So I really, I really love that. And I feel like maybe for me or I don't know if y'all can relate, but, like, it's like, um it's nice and it like brightens up your day you know to see that color and kind of see something unexpected and kind of like share that moment with like the artist and like the city you're in or the place you're in yeah i also think with uh street art it's very important because whenever i think of street art i think of the murals in little village or in pilsen and it just reminds me of the just the representation and the heavy culture that lives there um but with that You all have heard some of our own experiences being consumers and creators of art in Chicago. Now, let's hear more about the different art scenes, starting with the history of Chicago street art from Ariandi. Hi, I'm Ariandi, and this is a brief history of the criminalization of graffiti and why it came to be. I also compare why some public art is considered vandalism, while other works by more affluent, well-known artists are considered the opposite. Let's go, let's go. There is no more incredible man on this earth. A lot of people may not know this, but spray paint is illegal to sell in Chicago. Outlawed in 1992, spray paint became illegal to sell because of the massive amounts of graffiti bombing present at the time. In the official ruling of National Paint and Coatings Association versus City of Chicago 835 Federal Supplement 421, the findings of fact Part B found, the costs associated with graffiti vandalism are substantial to both public and private sectors. The city, along with various public agencies including the Chicago Transit Authority, the Chicago Board of Education, the Chicago Park District, and the Chicago Housing Authority, has been forced to allocate scarce resources to the tune of millions of dollars in order to affect graffiti removal. That same ruling defines graffiti as vandalism and as marks placed on the property without the owner's consent. Before we get into the differences between forms of public art, let's talk about where a lot of these graffiti crews originated from and why they came to be in the first place. For this segment, I'll define graffiti as the act of writing, drawing, painting on a surface, usually a public space, to spread a message, agenda, name, etc. If you think about it, graffiti has been around since the first caveman decided to draw on those walls in France years ago. As I said previously, selling spray paint in Chicago became illegal in 1992, all thanks to Mayor Daly. In an effort to attract more affluent folk to the city, he created a task force known as the Graffiti Blasters to take down any graffiti the moment it popped up around the city. 
and sadly, it worked. Can I have a report of you in for Alan Kraszewski? Well, more than a dozen people were arrested in the Chicago police sting. The use of cameras is the latest development, the fight against graffiti that plagues many Chicago neighborhoods. Channel 10's Charles Thomas is in the newsroom with details. Charles? Well, Harry, count this as another salvo in the city's never-ending war against graffiti. Officials have unveiled the video camera, their new weapon in the fight against taggers. The mayor's graffiti busters were out this afternoon cleaning up the battlefield in the 2900 block of West Medill. Earlier this month, the city painted the outside of this factory eggshell white and stationed police officers armed with a video camera nearby. Artists were prosecuted with fines reaching up to $2,500, yet taggers still persevered. When an artist decides they want to become a tagger, they usually decide on a name tag. Crews come later. From all the interviews I've seen, a lot of artists are doing graffiti for different kinds of reasons, but a lot of them usually come from Chicago's ethnic neighborhoods. An article from I Paint My Mind quotes, the social and cultural arc of street art in America is tied very closely to the history of disinvestment, segregation, and under-resourcing of urban communities of color, and the criminalization of graffiti runs parallel to the criminalization of poverty and the rise of mass incarceration. Disinvestment in these neighborhoods leads to little to no funding for art programs, and in order to gain recognition, a lot of young artists go to the streets to start doing graffiti. After a while, young graffiti artists start to gain a rep and are reached out from crews across the city to recruit them for larger bombings. Some notable graffiti crews in Chicago are CMK, ABC, KMD, Aerosol Crew, and more. Through these crews, artists learn new techniques and gain experience on how to improve their skills. But since the criminalization of graffiti in Chicago, the question still stands. What is considered street art and what is considered vandalism? An example I have of this is Chicago's Pilsen neighborhood. I grew up in Pilsen and back in the day the neighborhood had little to no government backing. Pilsen has always had a deep history with graffiti and a lot of these artists come from gang-related backgrounds. Back in the day, graffiti was graffiti. And as the neighborhood started to get more and more gentrified, a lot of these artists started moving out. Suddenly, the word graffiti was changed to murals and that made investors less scared of the neighborhood. It's interesting to note that a lot of this public art is considered vandalism until placed in an area with affluent residents. If it makes the people with money happy, then it makes the government happy. So all of this being said, what is left to do about neighborhoods with emerging graffiti artists? Funding their schools, art programming is one of the first steps, but the real change starts with all of us. There has always been a stigma against public art due to its association with gangs and its criminalization. If you see an artist tagging their name in your neighborhood, search them up on social media and start giving them the recognition they deserve. Just because their art may not be in a museum or gallery doesn't make it any less impactful. Hope you guys enjoyed that segment. To extend the conversation, I'd like, to you guys, I'd like to ask you guys a question. Like what I asked the audience in my audio piece, how do you differentiate differentiate street art from vandalism? I feel like it's so hard to answer that just because art overall has been put into like a good or bad category. And I feel like just that happening overall is like um, not the best because you're... I don't know, it's like, street art is self-expression, graffiti is self-expression, even if it's like something like, that's like not, it's literally just like a tag or just like somebody's like saying random words, I feel like it's just still art. And I think like that can be heavy to a lot of people because they're like, no, like they have like this idea of what art is already. Um, but literally the definition of art is just human self-expression so even if it isn't like a van gogh or a basquiat like it's still 
they're still saying something they're still expressing themselves so i i don't know like i i don't really i don't like adhere to the idea that like street art or graffiti is vandalism i think that that's just a name that people place on things because they are uncomfortable Uh, yeah, I 100% agree with everything Maru said. Um, but I think that when it crosses into the line of vandalism is when it's done on someone's house. Because I have seen that many times before where it's um, something gang-affiliated just sprayed on a neighbor's fence or something. Um, that is a form of self-expression, you know. But I think it crosses into vandalism once it's on someone's house and it's unwanted. I agree, Eileen. I was thinking too, like... Is it, I really had to think about this question, but like, is it property? But then it's like abandoned buildings if they're owned by someone, they're really just there taking up space. And then it's like, is that, I feel like that's street art, vandalism, like how you said, someone's kind of like someone's personal belongings too. Like if you see something on someone's, you know, car or like stuff like that. But I think like, again, kind of how I talked about earlier, like just walking around the city and seeing like pops of art in unexpected places I think add to it and I don't think it's like Madhu mentioned it's not like bad for sure thank you guys for sharing your thoughts um that being said do you guys have any favorite graffiti or street artists I gotta be real I don't I don't recognize really anybody I just look at the streets and I'm just like that's really pretty and I take a picture of it and I'm like yeah, it's really pretty. I'm gonna look at this later, mm-hmm. and I don't think I don't think too much about it. But now that I'm kind of thinking about it right now, there are some uh, graffiti artists that I actually do follow. I just never see their work out and about, um, which kind of makes me a little bit sad. But I love seeing like their like um, their name tags, like you know, like the, like the hello I am, and then it's like their little tag sign. I love seeing that. I haven't seen them around, but like I can't wait to like cross paths with it one, once. For sure. I think too. I love seeing the art um, on that you pass by on the CTA. I'm always taking CTA everywhere. So like, I take the orange line and just, you know, it kind of becomes markers of certain locations. Or like, oh, I'm about to get to my Ashland stop, or oh, I'm about to get to Halstead. Sometimes I like, I'm like on my phone, and then I look up, and like, boom, it's there, and I'm like, oh, it's there. So like, it's funny how like it becomes part of the city too. Yeah, literally. I also take the same um, train and I, I see those graffitis on, on Ashland. And I just, I loved seeing them and I had them memorized and they decided to cover them up. And it made me so sad because they were really good pieces. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Ariandi, for the brief history lesson. To delve more into the topic of street art, my name is E. Rodriguez, and recently, Araceli and I visited the Art Institute to ask people what they think of art is, and if there really is a difference between the art we see in our day-to-day lives, such as street art, and the art they see in the museum. Let's tune in. Hi, hello, hey. Did you miss me? In case you forgot, my name's E. Rodriguez, and I go by they, them pronouns. As you may have heard, me and Araceli recently infiltrated the Art Institute of Chicago. Yeah, two tickets please. And together, we got to the bottom of what makes art art. What is the difference between museum art and the art you see outside? We carefully surveyed the area and asked the people what they had to say. Hello! 
Can I get your name and your age, please? My name is Maria, and I'm 20. My name is Aranza Jimena Rodriguez. My name is Tania Trejo Mendez. I'm 24 years old. I'm Joaquin Perez, 25. My name is Alexander Cabano. I'm 61. Hi, my name is Mia Batacola, and I'm 19 years old. Hi, my name is Deontay. Um, I'm 23. I'm Anne Romeo, and I am 66 years old. My name is Malachi Elijah. I'm 27, and I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Surprisingly, most of the people we interviewed were actually visiting from out of state. I'm from North Carolina. I am from Mexico City, but I live in New York City in East Williamsburg. Yeah, uh, I'm from Tampa, Florida area. Yeah, I'm from Georgia, um, but we live in Gainesville, Florida right now. And I'm from North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I'm from Fort Myers, Florida. I am in Wicker Park. I'm from Seattle, Washington. To begin our investigation, we asked the people what they consider art in the first place. Um, well, personally, um, I probably shouldn't say this, but I think like most art galleries and like museums are like a super pretentious place that like sometimes I feel like I don't belong in if I don't know enough about the work that's being displayed. Um, but personally, um, I think anything that like shows like an ex like expression of like yourself or like the time that you're living in, I think even just like silly little doodles are art. I think it's art. Art is something that um, sparks emotions from deep down inside of us and moves us. I think art doesn't have to do anything whether we like it or we don't like it. Art doesn't have anything to do with people that like go to a museum and are like, I would put this in my house, I wouldn't put this in my house, because a lot of people define art that way. And for me, art is something that's gonna spark an emotion and it's also gonna make me think. For me, I guess I would say that something is art when it makes you maybe like stop and you know do a double take, um, whether it be just purely aesthetics or something you know even mundane that makes you like reminds you of something else. Hmm, how I define art? Well, in the simplest way, uh, well, art is something which uh, we create on the interface between our imagination and the reality which surrounds us. I think art can be. I think art can really be anything, mm -hmm. um, as long as it's created with some sort of passion or purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the subjectivity of art is what makes it so special. Mm -hmm. um, so what may be art to one person isn't necessarily for another. An art piece is no mistakes. Art is very creativity, it's very beautiful. It's, your, it's what you see, it's how you put it on paper and how you bring your vision to life. I would define art as something that is um, something that's very like intuitive and innate to one's passion in life, right? So um, it's nothing that can really be, I guess, defined um, in one way. I think art is very subjective. Um, it's not something that is, um, it's not something that should be just housed in a museum or thought of as, as only being in a museum. Um. Wait, no. 
Yeah, I got it. Wait, no. Yeah, I got it. Uh, I never said I was a great catcher, though. We will return to your scheduled programming shortly, or we are currently experiencing technical difficulties. Art. You can find it everywhere in museums like the Art Institute of Chicago. In fact, let's picture ourselves there right now. Look to the left of us and it's splattered on canvases. Look to the right of us and it's framed on a wall. Look above us and we'll even find it on the ceiling. But is art only exclusive to what's inside the walls of a museum building? After all, isn't art everywhere? Mm. Take a little walk or even a cruise down a Chicago street and you're bound to find art existing in everyday places. Art might even exist in a place you call home. Is art that graffiti sign that's just popping with color at your park? Or is it that mural on the side of an abandoned building near your local grocery store? Is it even those funny looking cartoons on that 1-800 billboard sign you always see on your way to work? Wait a second, wait a second, hold on. We've got a serious question to answer. Hello? Cut the music! <clears throat> Thank you. So. What's the real difference between art we see in public places and art that's hanging in the walls of museums? Is the difference a matter of physical setting? Yeah, it's definitely just the location because for some reason once it's in like these like really complex architectural spaces, people are like, yeah, art, yeah. Is the difference a matter of dollars? It's the money. Everything here in this museum probably costs like millions of dollars, right? Or is it fame and popularity? And it's put on maybe sometimes a pedestal um, for people to, to see this as real art. Unfortunately, the truth is probably anything that's gained enough popularity to be considered like valued by society. Is the difference only as temporary as we are? But at the same time, uh, things which we don't consider art at this given moment uh, may very well be. Is it the history of the paintings? A museum kind of puts it in perspectives and shows you the timelines of art. The difference made of many reasons that lie way deeper than the canvas itself. The art that's put in museums is given some level of importance that something on the street isn't for some reason. That could be anything like money, connections of the artist, things like race or ethnicity. I think. Taking the Mac back real quick, we'll be back after some so short messages. Hello e hola, you're back with the What's Up crew, and I'm Araceli. Without further ado, let's get back to the art segment with E&I. It's given some level of importance that something on the street isn't for some reason. That could be anything like money, connections of the artist, things like race or ethnicity I think are also big. Does the difference actually even exist? Is the difference in the room with us right now? Based on the answers we receive, there are plenty of differences, but none seem to lie in the actual quality of the art itself, but rather how we, as a society, perceive and judge its value. 
even though art on the street can be created with the same level of passion, creativity, and dedication, just as any other piece in a museum, street art is still perceived as other. It's vandalism. It's a nuisance to our society. It's ruining our city! But what if street art comes from the same place that a sculpture or painting or photo that hangs on the walls of a museum is from? Although the means and location, price, and popularity may be different, doesn't all art come from an artist's heart, mind, and imagination? Part of the reason I think art is so special is because street art is on the street versus what you find in a museum. What if the painting on the outside wall, free for the public to see, actually meant more than a painting kept away, separated from us? Graffiti art is born out of an urban culture, right? It's born out of the need to display one's art and one's like passion uh, because it's not accepted in a museum. Street art sends a message through color, line, style, and shape. It's free, it's public, and it shares the creative voice of a community. And those that we interviewed saw and understood the value street art holds. I think graffiti art is museum worthy. Street art is art. The street art you pass by every day reflects the community surrounding it. There is history and love and life in that art. And despite all that, the standards are skewed, but not in street art's favor. I think I see a lot of things um, like street art and that kind of things that aren't as valued in society, like you wouldn't typically see in a museum, but have every right to, to be there. Versus when you're walking around a museum, you might see something and wonder why that was valued so highly compared to something else. Honestly, I wish I could say that it depends on the grandiosity and the depth of an artwork. I mean, it should be that way, but there's many things out there that do not belong in collections. The art that's in a museum, um, most of the time was brought in by people, like by white people or, you know, not by, not necessarily by people of color. And they all have a very valid point. While staring at that sculpture or painting or photo in front of you, do you ever wonder why that art is there? Hmm. Exactly who or what gets the final say in deciding what art does belong in the Art Institute Chicago or in any museum for that matter? Hmm. But if there are so-called qualifications that must be met to enter through the museum doors and become part of a collection, what are they? What makes an art piece truly museum worthy? Is it indefinable? Is it indescribable? Does anyone really know? I don't have a good answer for that. Personally, I think the history and context of a piece um, can make it museum worthy, though I struggle even trying to define what is museum worthy or not. It's doing something that hasn't really been explored before. The amount of attention that it gets, the amount of people, and specifically who is interested in seeing it and sharing it with other people. It has to say something. See something and brings me like inspiration. It's like, wow, this, this means this, this, this means that. That would make it worthy to me personally. Again, that's such a hard question. It's so subjective. I would think that it was done by an artist with some relevance to the region that the museum is in. Personally, I think that 
art is museum worthy once it causes social change. Arts means oof, the, the patrons that buy it and donate it. In the museums we put things which we already kind of, uh, there is a agree upon as a civilization of whoever or society that uh, these uh, pieces of art are art and deserve to be in the museum. But really, I think anything could be part of a museum. But if it makes you think and it, it, it reflects the time, then it belongs here. So what makes art museum worthy? The answers, to say the least, varied. Oh, art. It comes in so many different shapes, sizes, colors, and even in different places. Art is meant to be shared, loved, and appreciated. And although art will always remain subjective, probably, most likely, actually, remember that art can be created anywhere, at any time, with anything, and with anyone. Quick shout out to all the people we had the pleasure of interviewing. Thank you so much. This has been Araceli. Goodbye y adios. Actually, this is more like a see you later. I'm going to pass the mic over to my partner in art crime, E. Let them do their special thing. Yeah, and don't worry, I am not throwing the mic this time. I learned my lesson. Thank you for the mic pass, Araceli. We are now coming back live from Blumpen Studios. And let me give another quick thank you to everyone who agreed to be interviewed. I hope they had fun visiting the city. I really didn't expect to meet so many tourists. I'll go ahead and open the discussion to y'all. What do you think of the answers? And maybe you guys wanted to give a shot at the questions. How do you guys define art? Um, I'll start off with how I would define art. Uh, to me, well, art, you know, there's not one definition of what it is because everyone has their own interpretation of it. Uh, but to me, art is anything that you feel is representative to you and yourself. And I think one of the interviewees mentioned it, that art is something that em emotionally moves you. And I think that as long as you're creating something that emotionally moves you, then that is art. Um, yeah. Um, I also wanted to say, like, similar to Eileen, like, if if something's, like, really personal to you, like, I, I do consider it art, like, even though somebody may not like it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, like, as long as you felt, like, very involved in it, you felt very emotional about it, like, then that's art, that's, like, something you create, it could be photography, it could be anything, you know, like, visual, like, dance, food, like, that. that is what art is at its core, it's, like, deeply personal, and, um, makes you feel a certain way. I think after interviewing so many different people and getting so many different answers, um, it's still, the definition is still the same for me. Um, art is anything that's created with a passion. That's so real. Um, honestly, after talking to so many people too, like it was, it was kind of weird like having everyone's answers be like kind of the same, but also different in certain ways. Um, I know someone said, like, art is supposed to be, like, perfect, I guess. Um, and 
and that you know other people are saying that like well subjective like if you're talking like in an academic sense like art is like you know a lot of time and effort and et cetera and so forth but personally um it's just uh some again some, as you guys said something you guys you feel passionate about while doing um and i have to ask you guys um the same question again what makes art museum worthy Um, there's really no telling on how to define that. I think the people who determine what if something is museum worthy is the people who have a loud enough voice and who have enough money to put into museums what they what they want. Um, but to me, something that's museum worthy is definitely uh, something that needs to be highlighted and shared with the people. Whatever, um, who determines that? I don't know. That's the thing about it. Um, but yeah, anything that just needs to be preserved, I think. I think anything that is museum worthy, you know, shows culture and history and lives, but we're living lives right now. I think anything can really be museum worthy because it is a part of us. You know, we get to say um, what is important enough, you know, what we're the public. We share our opinions on, you know, you know, what is shared and what is well known. And if we give our attention to it, then... I think anything can become museum worthy, even the street on even the art on the street. I guess to kind of counter everyone, what don't y'all consider art? I want y'all to really think about this. Fan art, Sonic OCs, everything. Everything's on the table. What's something that you look at and you're like, yeah, no. I guess especially with like the rise of like uh like AI art, oh like yeah, like that's so not true. like you know, yes. like Anything that like you're making, I feel like, like, um, well, that's like a different conversation. But I feel like, like, um, people who just like, like, um, exploit other people's work, or you know, or like, or like big companies that like exploit artists, you know, like, like just to like, like pump stuff out. Like I feel like you can feel sometimes how disingenuous projects like that are, and so like sometimes, yeah, like. Yeah, like AR, AI and stuff like that. I just, it's not art. Like, you gotta be, you gotta be real. That's so real. I, I honestly was not expecting, like, a real answer. I was expecting, like, some controversy right now. Oh. But um, I guess, Ariandi. <laughs> but that's so real. Um, just to, I guess, try to make a quick question, but what should be museums? What do you want to see personally? I love that question. I think that, like, I don't know. Especially the history of museums is really violent. Like, museums house a lot of culture, um, a lot of stolen culture, a lot of stolen artifacts. And I feel like museums definitely should, I mean, return all that stuff back. But museums overall should really be built by the communities that mm -hmm. surround it. Like, and should be free, should be accessible, uh, should be all those things, and yeah, should just like really reflect the communities that are around there. What a lovely note to end it on. I'll pass it on to Araceli. Thanks for listening to our small discussion on the Art Institute Vox Pops. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did at the Art Institute. Speaking of discussions, I had the pleasure of picking the creative brains of some art students from Columbia College Chicago, 
So let's get it rolling. Hello e hola. You're listening to Araceli on What's Up. And I'm here with Jenna Davis, 19, pronouns she her. And we are also with this gray light and my pronouns are they them. I'm 21. Both of these kind individuals shared their time and responses with us on the art school experience. So let's get into it. <clears throat> First question, please share what you are currently majoring in in art school. My major is fine arts and I minor in arts and healthcare. Photography. Next question, what kind of art do you create? My usual answer to this question is I take photos of trash. Um, just, just a lot of street photography, a lot of urban decay. Typically I create oil paintings, so that's like my specialty. I love doing realism oil painting, but I also dabble in uh, Pencil drawings of realism, I like creating like physical things, so I want to experiment more with like ceramics, uh, like the necklace I made, this clock necklace, um, things like that I want to start experimenting with. So I've got to ask, there's often this floating perception or kind of a cliche now that art students are often discouraged from pursuing art in college. So in your experience, have you ever received any pushback? My family has been really supportive, which is something I'm so incredibly grateful for. I definitely have moments where I'm hard on myself and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I, like, how is this going to work out? How am I going to afford things? But at the end of the, end of the day, I know that I'm going to be okay because it's something that I love doing. Always. Some of it's created internally and other it's external. So why art school? What does art school offer that is appealing to you? I really came to the school to learn some portraiture. I did art school because I can't imagine anything else. Creating is what I was born to do. That sounds so cheesy, but it's, it's truly like I wake up, I think about it, I go to bed, I think about it. And growing up, art was like the only class I was good at. Um, and the only thing I really enjoyed is also like an escape. I went to a Catholic school. I also, I went to a public high school and you know, like people are always there for football or sports. And the art community was really, really small. So having an opportunity to be constantly surrounded by creatives that all like, they all get what it means to be a creative. So we're on number five. Does art school help to encourage your freedom of creative expression or does art school actually limit it? It just felt really empowering. For me personally, I have always had the opportunity to go in my own direction. We'll be given a prompt of like, we need eight to 10 pencil drawings, but it can be about whatever we want. My uh, first semester here, I took a drawing class and I created a collection that I've been wanting to create for forever but I didn't know how to tell it, and this semester I, would, I just had the opportunity to, and I finally was like, I need to sit down and think and create this collection, which I ended up doing. And that's what I really like about art school, is that it's not like, you need to write a paper about X, Y, and Z. It's like, you, here's, like, you need to create this, go for it, which I really enjoy. This is something I ask myself every day. I've definitely noticed in the year that I've been at Columbia, my compositions and my ability to edit with different styles has definitely improved. And I've just like learned so much. So thank you so much for sharing. And a special thank you to you if you are currently listening. Now, next question. How do you balance your creative individuality and meeting the criteria of art school? 
It definitely has an effect on it. You've got to be able to decide for yourself what influences you want to accept and what influences you don't value. I feel like they go hand in hand. A lot of, at least for Columbia itself, the professors want you to create towards your style and express who you are. There's no like limitations. The professors aren't expecting me to know who I am right now as an artist. Instead, they are here to guide us on how we can discover ourselves. Number seven. I've been told that's a lucky number, actually. Can you share a little bit about a fun project you have worked on? Obviously, my first semester drawing collection I really enjoyed because that was a very like emotional one. But something that was just fun to do, I took a 3D printing class and we had to create like a headpiece. And 3D printing, I had no idea how to do that at all. A project I made, it was a book. It's called, I wish I should have brought it. That would have been fun. Trash Sandwich. Mm -hmm. It is exactly what it sounds like. So I took some sponges and then cut them up and taped them together to look like pieces of bread. Mm -hmm. And then I painted them and taped them. And it's, it's a really shoddy design. It was just a prototype, but all the pages were just interesting trash I found. Just trying to like show people who don't get outside much what's like actually on the ground and why we need to like clean it up. Last question. Is there a piece of advice you'd like to share with those who are thinking about pursuing an art field in art school? Personally, I like overextended myself my first semester and uh, just with extracurriculars and uh, really just, you know, like get the get the degree, you know, that's that's what you're here for. You know, that's that's the main focus. And uh, we're we're growing right now. We don't need to be perfect in this moment and we, we can't be. So just uh, don't don't have too too highs and, and too lows. You know, don't get too high and too low. Enjoy the ride. I say do it, even if parents aren't supportive, it's gonna be so much fun and you're gonna enjoy it so much. And it is quote unquote a leap of faith, but also the opportunities that you're given, it's definitely worth it to take that leap of faith. I am Araceli and you're listening to What's Up Radio. Gotta give a special thank you to Jenna Davis and Gray Light for being a part of this. They were an absolute pleasure to talk to. So shout out to y'all. Hey everyone, I'm Maru, they, them, and this is What's Up on WLPN LP, Lumpen Radio, 105.5 FM, Chicago. Up next, we have an interview with Gabby, pronouns they, them. Gabby is a 23-year-old multidisciplinary artist from Chicago. I was so excited to ask them about their insight on learning various forms of art and their thoughts on the art world like overall. Take a listen and make sure to check out their artwork on their Instagram at Gabicioso, spelled G-A-B-I-C-I-O-S-O. Do you want to introduce a little bit about yourself, the just like your experience in art or what kind of mediums you practice? I practice a lot of different kinds of art. Like I mainly just do it for fun, for like emotional healing, stuff like that. Like mostly for my self. Mm-hmm. It's often a very meditative process for me. And as for my experience, 
with it. I um, attended the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign for like at least two years, a little bit more than that. I was taking part-time classes at some point after I had my baby. Um, but right now, I'm not currently enrolled in school. I don't have my bachelor's, but I'm currently deciding my path for like completing my bachelor's. I was studying art education and I probably will stay on a similar route studying art studio practice or something similar. Um, I don't think it's that important to get your bachelor's in art if you're doing art but I want to have being an educator in schools in like CPS schools stuff like that as an option at least for me so it is something I'm trying to obtain that's really cool like so you said you're going to continue going down the path of art education like yeah so like I got into one program as a transfer student not sure if I'll end up attending there but they have a program where they have a master's in art um in one or a master's in education that takes one year so i would be getting a bachelor's in like art studies like a bfa and then getting a master's in education so i i just want to have that qualification in in some way cool and has your like experiences within cps kind of inspired that I just think it's something I'd be really good at. Yeah. I think being the, like, queer adult I wanted when I was little, like, I think I could be a very great role model, and, like, I have a lot to offer teaching-wise, so I just think it'd be something that I should have at least in if I want to do it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What was your experiences like like with CPS and art classes and and learning art like growing up um so I've always been exposed to at least a bit of art classes in my elementary school we had art class at least part of the semester and because it was just a part-time job there was always a different art teacher every year but like now that's not the case but at least was when I attended there and I just like love my art teacher every year and it was always my favorite class and I remember in fifth grade I like got I would get like signed out of class like help build the like set for for our like little musical and stuff so it was like a way I could get out of class too when that wasn't a thing in elementary school. True. In high school that was a thing. I would like literally like not technically ditch class but ditch class like go to art the art classes like just always trying to be in the art. For high school I went to Whitney Young and there's definitely a lot of access to different kinds of art supplies like they have a whole Mac like Mac lab where I took a graphic design class. Definitely learned so much there. And even though I didn't take that many art classes, I would literally like, just like crash other class, crash the like, the other AP art classes, even though I never took an AP art class and just like make stuff. <laughs> True. I always love making stuff out of clay the most. At Winnie Young, they have 
kind of a decent ceramic like access to equipment like kilns Mm -hmm. they have at least two wheels so i was never exposed to wheel throwing when i attended there but i like loved hand building and ceramics and i would like spend my lunch sometimes like i would just always try to like be in there helping (laughs) but my art teacher had been putting in all the hours where i would just sneak into her classroom and like glaze stuff like i would like do little test tiles for her i would clean a lot of tubes out for her and she like put those service hours for me in so i didn't even know i had service hours but i was like set (laughs) at like 110 or something wow that's so cool we're like so like teachers they were welcoming like even if you weren't weren't in their class like could you go and just like use the materials and stuff like that at least for me (laughs) (laughs) but they're they're very friendly but they also like don't let you take advantage of that either like they can recognize when people are just trying to slack off Mm. but i think they I don't know. I never abused their, like, kindness or anything. When you were in college or, like, at Urbana, is that kind of similar to how teachers were? Like, was it open? Like, you could use the studios even if you weren't taking that class? Yeah, so the art classes are... Or for the studio art classes, you pay a $90 fee for, like, if you're taking at least... Just one fee if you're taking multiple classes. And with that, you get access to their resources, like, 24 hours. You just use your ID to swipe in. So that is definitely, like, the biggest plus size to me for going to college. Like, the biggest plus is that you can have access to all the resources that your college has to offer. If you're in school or if you're going to school, make sure to use (laughs) everything that you can out. Yeah, I think I was a little too shy, and I wouldn't use the resources enough. Like, I would use anything I could use on my own, but I wouldn't go out of my way to learn how to use the vinyl cutter or anything Mm. like that. But definitely, college is a place where you need to take advantage of the resources and learn as much as you can. So, like, we're talking about just um, your experiences, like, going to school, learning some forms of art, like, in classes... Uh, but also just like other kinds of art that you like taught yourself can you talk a bit more about maybe like what classes you did formally go to and like learn like different mediums in and then like we can get into like what maybe you've started learning yourself I mean at this point I've been like in ASM since like after the year after eighth grade like i took a metals works class wait what's asm after school matters okay like so i would take between after school matters classes high school classes and college classes i've definitely had a lot of art experience all right we are back from our short break this is wlpn lp lumpen radio 105.5 fm chicago Whether you are joining us now or have been listening in, this episode is all about humans in the Chicago art scene. We've had discussions on our art experiences, learning history of street art, to hearing wonderful interviews and vox pops on art school versus being self-taught. We were just listening to an interview Maru had with Gabby, who is a multifaceted artist. 
So let's jump back in and continue listening. Graphic design, definitely learn formally, mm -hmm. but the uses for it are more personal. <laughs> like, even in, even in my graphic design class, like, we would make memes <laughs> as <laughs> our assignments. So, cool. <laughs> the assignments were personal, but I've studied graphic design, drawing, um, ceramic, sculpture, um, taken like kind of video classes mm -hmm. like new media uh just, just a plethora of stuff but i will say like for painting like i took at least one painting class but it was after the pandemic hit so it's over zoom so i feel like you you lose a bit when it's over zoom mm -hmm. and that was my first time taking a formal painting class in, but i've been painting way before that mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I really learned that much in it. <laughs> like, out of all ask. the classes, <laughs> it's the class I learned the least in. I think it was mostly because it was in Zoom. Mm -hmm. Like, sketching is like drawing in general is something that like I've always done without, with or without like the training for it. Mm -hmm. And I took a class my freshman year of college called visualization drawing. That class was weird, but it was good, and it totally upped my game as an artist, like, in visualizi visualizing art, like... Yeah. What was, like, what was it about, or, like, would you, like, learn specifically? We would look at objects, you'd, like, arrange them, we'd do still life drawings, and he would make us be messy, like, when I draw, I try to be neat, like... I took this one screen printing ASM where we would have to draw in pen or we would have to draw in pencil and then in pen but I would just draw in pen like I like just like drawing meat and like that's it like mm -hmm. one time but he would make us like do intense lines and, like he came up to me and he's like it's not enough more like death like pushing your boundaries I guess as an artist or just like what you're comfortable with definitely what I was comfortable pushing what I was comfortable with yeah. <laughs> just like I'm comfortable with being like me but then I had to be like messy and yeah. these huge lines and then you just keep doing more and more lines and then you just like erase them away at the end and then your object has so much more like value and like depth and it definitely really help like another thing he said was that you know what you're drawing but the viewer of your drawing doesn't know what you're drawing so you're also once you have your like boxes and you have it like more you have it sculpted onto your paper like from there you can just make it look right to you like it doesn't have to look like the object themselves anymore so I think like that kind of freed me of of like making being feeling like I have to make a literal interpretation of something like like a photograph. It just yeah. has to be close enough and then yeah. look good to look good to you. I like that. That's definitely some good advice, <laughs> especially when like you know you especially have like practiced art before, so maybe getting into like a routine of like how you do certain things and then having that like refresher like 
you can break out of that box or out of your own box or anything and like continue to redefine yourself i guess in art and like your style and stuff which is cool yeah i definitely think that formal training like what is formal training is less important than just like you should be learning as much as you can like from as many different sources as you can um like really taking advantage of like the people if you are taking classes like of your teachers what they do outside of class and like really learning like about the person like that's when you learn stuff that's true and you don't have to have formal teaching to like learn from others like it does like what is formal like i don't know <laughs> yeah could you do you mind like talking a little bit about your experiences in asm and like the just like learning from like different artists especially like as a young person like in asm like getting paid for it while also learning yeah like it was definitely great to get a paycheck for learning skills and like doing stuff that's interesting to you and i f- i think they pay them actual wages now <laughs> like they just gave us stipends too and it was still amazing mm-hmm. um i took a metalworks one where i carved little tiny pieces little sheets of metal you can make like little cuffs oh, cool. i made that's a really owl mask that you like hang on the wall and then i took a graphic design one that one i didn't like as much because it was after i already took a graphic design class so i already like knew what i was doing and i was like a little bit of an expert in that class and that made it so my teacher would give me my instructor would give me like commissions to do instead of like the actual assignment like i had to make like an ad like stuff like that and then that i kind of got a glimpse of like what it's the reality of having to do commission-based art where it's not always depending on like what kind of art it is or what what you're doing it's not always what you want to do like when you're doing stuff to please other people for real because then you have to like fit even if you want to be creative like you have to fit what they're their vision is yeah so like i love making my memes but like (laughs) i hated making those ads but even in high school i would make ads for a playbill and stuff and that was fun like it just it it really depends but it just opened my eyes that that's something i have to consider like what kind of commissions you'll get like will you still be passionate about it at a certain point like would kind of kill your passion for something because that's not good so talking about like your experiences learning on your own going to school what are your thoughts for like people who want to get into art who find themselves being discouraged because they might not have like direct access to like asm or like classes Uh, what like do is there like any encouragement or experiences that you've had that have made it easier or more accessible for you to make art if you don't have access to those things you don't want to like wait for everything to be perfect you don't want to wait for everything to line up but at the same time you can only do as much as you can do 
but there's always something you can do so I think just figuring out something you can do just like even if it's not exactly what you want to do like just try to get as close as it as you can with the materials you have like don't just not do something because it feels too out of your reach mm -hmm. I don't know like you can make art out of trash so if you only have access to trash you can still make art and you can make beautiful art that goes to museums that's like award-winning like to to have i don't know that has value to everyone that sees it um but with that being said or like this isn't about the materials you have but i think also like you can't let other people tell you what you want to do like only you know what you want to do i think when i wanted to go to art school like my parents tried to discourage from it, me from it heavily. Like, and I, I listened. I didn't go to an art school, and now I'm like, looking to transfer, like looking to start over. But if I had listened to myself in the beginning, like, I wouldn't have like be in this situation. But at the same time, like, it's never too late to start listening to yourself. Like, you can't, you shouldn't feel like it's too late to do what you want to do. That's really good advice. Okay, cool. So, thinking about, like, resources, community, growing up in Chicago, are there ways that, like, your community, like, your family, your friends, um, or just, like, you know, your neighborhood, are there ways that your community, your experiences impact, like, the messages you want to share through your art? It's definitely been a way to help me feel connected to my culture, like through art. Um, yeah, and yeah. seeing seeing my child Lasada growing up in Pilsen too is beautiful. Like yeah. they love music, they love to dance, like being on the streets, <laughs> like going on our daily walk and there's like another festival at the museum. Lasada gets to listen to live music and dance. Yeah, it's it's very culturally rich. There's one drawing I made where I just started drawing stars and Lasso like just snatches my pen away so I just got a different color. So all the stars are kind of multicolored from them like snatching my pen away and making me switch. And then they just drew a bunch of lines. So like <laughs> the lines work really well with it. It just looks like shooting stars. Oh, so cool. so like some that's you were gonna ask me like what my favorite art piece I've created. Like yeah. probably that one. Like <laughs> it's so cute. That's so cool. It's like and then I took their hand and I wrote shooting stars. So mm -hmm. it like has text too. And it's kind of neat for me holding their hand and the they didn't resist me on it. Like, they <laughs> let me hold their hand and draw it. It's one thing about Lasada is that they only do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. So just, like, doing art with them only when they want to do it. And it's great that they do want to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's something you choose to do. That's really awesome. And I really like that, like, how you described that piece. This sounds so cool and, like, just meaningful. <laughs> and I love it. You dropped so many great gems today <laughs> for the for the people out here <laughs> listening, Good. especially because there's like this is like a youth like created radio show, but 
like people of all ages listen so yeah. i think this is great reminders for the young people who are starting art getting into art thank you so much for for just being in conversation with me and talking about your experiences and, mm-hmm. and art and stuff and I mean, I personally, I wish you the best with, like, everything. And, like, even teaching Laz, like, it's just really great to hear how your, like, journey with art has been able to, like, continue on for yourself, but also for your for your baby. So, mm-hmm. it's so cool. Well, thank you, Gabby. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Now, it's time to listen to an interview I had with Chicago artist Zena Lopez, where I got to hear her talk about her art education and vending experiences, along with advice for recognizing your potential. Remember, you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. Introduce yourself, your name, and your pronouns. I am Zena Lopez. My pronouns are she, her. Well, it's very nice to officially meet you, Zena. Thank you for giving us some of your time today. First thing I want to know is what mediums of art do you practice or sell? I practice most mediums. My favorites are oil, acrylic, but right now what I am working in all the time is watercolor and line art with Copic pen. Now you mentioned multiple mediums. Were all of these skills self-taught? Yeah. And I did go to school, but I mean, mostly what I learned from school is just how to apply some different techniques. But in reality, like most of my education had just been, well, this looks interesting. I'm going to watch a YouTube video and then I go and buy it and then I try it and then I keep going at it and then find out if I can actually work with it or not. So you studied at NEIU. What made you pursue art professionally? In high school, I had like no plans and I had a really nice high school teacher named Daniel Eastup. His Instagram is Flooding Factory if you want to check him out. He makes really cool stuff. And he was just like, Zena, you should try doing this. And like I had another high school teacher, Paula Newell, who was just like, apply to this art thing and show your artwork. And I just got all this positive feedback. And I was just planning on doing nothing with my life. So I was like, you know what? I'm getting good things from here. So let's just go this way. I had nothing else going on. And And then I won an award from this art gallery thing that the Colony Wall teacher told me to apply to. And it was just like small little dominoes here and there that just keep going in the art direction. And I keep getting uh, constant positive feedback from it. So that's the direction I'm choosing to follow. Did the education change any perception you had of art? Yeah, it did. I think that if there is anything valuable to learn from there, it's that a lot of professional artists work really hard all the time. You learn how to get a realistic sense of what being an artist really is, because it's not going to be you showing off at the Guggenheim your very first time or at all ever in your entire life. A lot of artists grow up and then they have some main job where they're sitting in an office and then their art is a side thing, but they work really hard anyway. And the passion stays alive. So how do you feel about the way that it was taught to everyone? Ooh, that's hard to say. I, I guess it really depends on who you are. They leave it kind of vague if I'm honest with you. They just, they have a couple of tools and we have really great painters there, painting teachers who will guide you on what to do. And they're really helpful. 
and they are professionals. They're wonderful at what they do. What I mean by being them being vague is that they would switch it and tailor it to each student specifically. Yeah, like they'll put like some figures in the middle of the room. Say, for example, we're in a painting class and then the teacher could walk around to your working space and they're like, oh, maybe you can do this. And they observe what you do. They give you some pointers and work with you with a basic goal in mind for the rest of the class to follow. And I think that's really helpful. Artists need this sort of place to play and figure out what they can do or what they can or what to work on. So you have a website, xenalopez.com, where you sell prints all drawn by you. What made you decide to start selling your art? (laughs) I have this passion for not being homeless. Sometimes selling work (laughs) really keeps that passion alive. (laughs) I love money (laughs) too. That's for being honest. Money is so fun. It buys me happiness. I don't know about you guys, but uh, (laughs) I also just found maybe two years ago, I was setting up this art tent thing. Mr. Eastup Flooding Factory on Instagram was like, you should sell some work here because it might be lucrative for you. And I was like, okay, I don't believe in myself. Like I had imposter syndrome the entire time. I still do, kind of. It's starting to fade away now because I'm getting a lot of really great commentary on my work and it seems to really be touching people in the ways I would like it to. Yeah, it turns out people really like it. And I love, I love knowing that I can bring something good to people's lives. It makes me really happy. (laughs) That's beautiful. What determines what pieces you turn into stickers, prints, you put it on shirts? What determines that? It's random. Sometimes it's my own judgment, which is bad sometimes because I am my own worst critic. Like I'm so mean to myself sometimes. But then I just randomly decide to make a couple of designs onto stickers or shirts. And I think to myself like, oh my God, nobody's going to buy it. So then I just kind of stuff it away in my house. I'm like, I need to sell it. So I bring them out to the art fairs and then somebody just picks them up and they're like holy wow this is incredibly silly and hilarious let me buy it and I'm like no way and then I just kind of keep making more stuff and more people like pick it up look at it laugh scream and whatever and it makes me realize okay I think that people enjoy this I'm gonna make it more now. If we're trying to get to the root of the question here, it's like, why would I choose something to sell? And how do I know whether or not to sell it? And for other artists out there who don't quite know how to pick what work of theirs would be valuable, it's really just trial and error. You just have to do it. Because if your product doesn't exist, no one's going to buy it because it's not there. You just make it and then people buy it or not. But you only find out once you've made the thing. So you've mentioned that you sell at vendor events. How did you feel at your very first event? That was very exciting. I was surprised that people would want something that I made to be part of their lives, right? I was like, there's no way people want my stuff in their home. (laughs) They do. (laughs) They really do. (laughs) And they want to wear it on their chest and everything. Like they buy these shirts with really vulgar images on them (laughs) sometimes, but they're funny and they're worth it. And I guess that just kind of shows that maybe people have the same humor that I have, a certain lightheartedness and that is really wholesome to me. It has really upped how I feel about how I trust people, I guess, because it's like, how can I enjoy interactions with other people when I don't think that I'm accepted by them? But if they enjoy what I like and what I make, maybe there's some connection and relationship here that I have. And I'm not so alien. I'm not so strange. People are kind of like me. Do you remember the first piece of art that you sold? Yeah, it was this man I made. Okay, so I lived in an apartment in Rogers Park, like between Edgewater 
and it was horrifying. It was like Disney's House of Horrors. There were cockroaches and all different types of bugs, violent neighbors, and it just was disgusting. Like there was a wall in there with growth and culture of so many years built into it, like mildew and oh my God, everything else you can think of. Anyway, I had to befriend some centipedes in there because they helped control the cockroach situation. And I named one Cheeto and another one was named Idiot. Ironically, Cheeto died. He uh, drowned in my bathtub. But um, the painting features a man sitting alone in a chair in a corner of a room and there are centipedes writhing in his mouth and there's like some liquid coming out. And it's just a total lonely, discomforting experience. And the centipedes are just like, this is exactly what I'm dealing with right now because I got to. And that's it. What do you have next? Next would be the overall experience about selling your art. What moments do you live for? The moments that I live for in selling artwork is that like every single person who passes by, nine out of ten, maybe a solid eight out of ten, they come up to my tent and they're just immediately laughing upon seeing my work. And they're like, oh my god, look at this. <laughs> and I think that that's really silly because I love, I love being silly and I love to see people happy with what I make. I live for that. It makes me feel so wholehearted. Where do you draw inspiration from the things that you make? Is it just an exaggeration of experiences you live through? You definitely got it. It's basically an exaggeration of every single thing in my life. I don't do commissions. I don't do any work that people tell me to do because I don't understand what they would want. And forcing myself to do something that I don't even care about is so hard for me because I won't do it and I won't like it. (laughs) And my life is already filled with so many different things. Every single second, something is happening to me. So why not just make work about me? And in fact, I'm so relatable, apparently, (laughs) that that should just be enough for people to enjoy. I am every single person on this earth. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I also vend my art and I did not do commissions because I it's just not something that I want to make. So that makes complete sense that you want to stay true to who you are. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. I guess one of the things that's a little bit annoying to me is that people see my work and they're like, oh my God, you would totally be good at doing this super, I don't know. I got really raunchy stuff up in my tent. So people will say like the most basic thing. And I'm like, who hasn't already thought of that before? You know, <laughs> if I'm honest and thank God I'm not mentioning anything. So no one will know who I'm talking about. But yes, in vain, it's you, buddy. <laughs> Do never, never tell me what to make. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Not you, not you. I'm talking to every other person. But anyway, it's just annoying. I want to make my own stuff. So with that, you've never felt any disconnect from your art after selling it? Oh, I never sell originals. The piece that I mentioned before with the centipedes, that was an original that I sold because I also hated myself and I hated the piece, right? And that only sold for like $20. In this day, I have made probably over thousands of dollars off of prints made from this original. I mean, and I heard from the person because I wanted to contact them see if I can make a better high quality scan of it. They said that they put it and donated it to a thrift store. So the original is out there somewhere worth a lot of money. (laughs) And who knows where it is. But that's I think that that's sort of like a funny story to think of, because showing where I am now from all the way back 
then, it's a pretty big change. And I'm happy where I've come. And I think that some of those stories are totally necessary because maybe for people who are listening, it's like, don't devalue your art. I mean, I, you're probably not even going to listen to me when I say that, right? You have to really experience how valuable your art is in order to see it that way. But yeah, that's where I was. If you like me, and you're angry to hear that my piece was sold for only 20 bucks to me and also got donated somewhere and probably sold for like $5. It's time to start valuing your work. <laughs> I don't know. So not like having experienced that moving forward, how do you determine the value or the price of your art? I started with selling my prints pretty low, like cheap. I think it was like $8 for a small print. Nowadays, I sell them for like 15 And part of that was selling at like these really well-known art fairs where like artisans were and people who had money could spend it. And I was tenting with this lady who was next to me and she was like, your prints are way, way too cheap. And they're really good. Like you need to just sell them for more. And I was like, really? And all you have to do is just change the price tag and then see what happens. Are people still gonna buy it? Oh no, I'm so afraid that I'm not, you know, people will. And I don't think that you have to even really be a good artist. People just have to like it. And you'd be surprised what people will like out there. If you can imagine the worst possible thing in the world, someone out there likes it. So go ahead and sell your work for so much money. It will sell. Exactly. It's all about the experimentation, just to keep moving it forward. So we've reached our final question. What motivates you to keep pursuing your passion? Uh, I like it and other people like it. And uh, let's see. So right now I've started a new job that requires me to be such a serious person, which I really haven't done too much before. And I love jokes. I love taking things super lightly. But when it comes to like where my entire life is going to go in the future, like I think I need to be a lot more serious about this because it's going to end up being what I do and then I die. And if I really, really enjoy it, you know, I have to really focus on what moves I can make to do this way more because I would like to enjoy my life, right? If I'm doing something I enjoy, <laughs> then inevitably I'm enjoying my life, right? And there's a there's a lot of time that you can spend doing things that you don't particularly care about in order to just live. So if I can think about what motivates me to keep doing it, it's because other people can learn too from what I'm doing and maybe also learn how to just do what they really enjoy. I've made a comic book called Thanks for Listening and it was like the whole story is about how I realized I have chronic anxiety. <laughs> and I, it's not like I'm completely over it yet. I've just, I, I recognize that I have it <laughs> and where it came from. And that's what the book is about. And it turns out a lot of people relate to that. And I remember in my experience of being a person who didn't know I had anxiety, who was totally alone about it, couldn't talk to anyone about it. It was just such an isolating experience. And it's so sad. And I think that if I can, if I could go back in time and give myself that book as like a love letter, like, hey, things are going to be okay. And it turns out you are not crazy. Like other people have told me that's how they feel when they read the book. So when I make work, it's for everybody else who needs it too. Because I mean, I need it for my life in order to be happy. But it turns out other people can actually really, really use the things that I make. And I, I would love for it to reach people that way. I'd love 
to help people feel better. Thank you so much, Zina. Thank you for being vulnerable with us and sharing your experience with art and what that means for you and to share it with people. Any final words to people who are thinking about pursuing their own passions or selling their art? I hope that there's people in your life like my teacher, Daniel Eastup or Colin Ewald or any of the wonderful people who have uh, supported my art. I really hope that there's people like that in your life. But if you're just alone for a very long time, you know, you can rely on yourself to be your friend if you're vulnerable enough to just be kind for a moment and then make what you should and just surprise yourself with what you can do. If you guys are interested in seeing more of my work, I'm super active on Instagram at Zena Lopez Art. And I have a website xenolopez.com, which serves as an online gallery. So you can look at all my stuff. I love the attention. Just do it. All right. What's up? What's up? So Maru, Ariandi, and myself, Sam, pulled up last week to the Get Flea vending market, which was lots of fun. We went around and asked people about their experiences as artists and vendors. Hopefully you enjoy listening too and learning more about the art vending community. Hi there. I'm Sam. This is Ariandi recording. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Chelsea Mendoza. Uh, my name is uh, Nikki Katonkin, and I run uh, Little Nikki Finds 69. And I run Merck's Vintage. So, uh, can you tell us your age pronouns and where you're from, if you're from Chicago? I'm from Chicago. I'm 21 years old, and uh, I am she, her. Uh, my name is Nick. I am 26 years young. I am him, he, and I am from a little Bufu town in the middle of nowhere called Norway. Um, can you share a little bit about your shop and what you're vending today? Um, I mostly sell like Y2K vintage pieces for uh, femmes, girls, but mostly um, they're unisex for the most part. How long have you been vending? Uh, straight out of high school, actually. Um, I started with my friend Kelly, and um, it's been about a, a little over two years now. Uh, do you do it as a, like a full-time job, side job, hobby? Um, I actually do it on the side, like whenever I feel like I want to get rid of some stuff, or um, I don't know, whenever I can, so... Yeah. My name is Sam Conklin. My pro, uh, pronouns are she, her. I grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago and I'm still kind of living there now. Um, so I'm 26, so a few years ago I graduated from uh, Bradley University down in Peoria. I studied animation and theater and now I am making comics and selling them at uh, conventions. That's pretty awesome. Um, can you share a little bit about your shop and what you're vending today? Yeah, so at my table you'll see I have like this massive binder that has a bunch of art in it, stuff that I've drawn on my computer and then had these fantastic companies print out so there's different effects and stuff. I also have my graphic novel, Now and Forever Nia, I published a couple of years ago. I have various stickers, bookmarks, I'm also doing commissions, so just kind of a little bit of everything. Um, how long have you been bending and why did you start? Yeah, so I started vending because I published my first graphic novel and I was like, oh shoot, I have all these comics, I don't know what to do with them. So I'm like, well, I like going to shows, why don't I like have a booth there and see, check out how that goes. So I checked out uh, my local, my first convention I went to was PeoriaCon in Peoria, Illinois. It was so cute, so much fun. They're growing a lot, which is great to see. And it's just so much fun to be part of this community. It's been about two years now. 
I'm giving myself this summer and fall to just go to as many opportunities as I can, just connect with people. And if it doesn't work out, we're gonna hang out at Starbucks for a while. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Natalie, my pronouns are she, her, I'm 22. I've been doing this now for three years, and my business name is Stay High Wear, and I actually host my own markets called the Stay High Market, so they're like cannabis and shroom friendly. <laughs> are you from Chicago? Yeah, I am, I'm from the south side. I'm from, I came from Marquette, and now I live in Tri-Taylor, yeah. Uh, can you share a little bit about your shop and where you're vending today? Yeah, so I actually sell some, like cannabis accessories, which are rolling trays. They're all anime inspired, and I try to go more like the girly side because I'm tired of seeing like the backwoods and the Rick and Morty. Like that's just it's not the vibe anymore, you know. So yeah, definitely doing that. I make some like statement piece jewelry, so everything's very chunky, and you don't usually see them. Like they're literally old like toys my grandma gave me. Some of them are just like welded things that I made together. Um, but yeah, I try to do different mediums, but right now it's just that. For now, I'm working on more. How long have you been bending and why did you start? Well, I've done it for three years now. I only started because I feel like as like a small business, the only way to get your stuff out there is to like sit in a street, really. Um, but it's cool. I feel like it's grown a lot because usually you only see like those aloteros out like on the corner and now you're seeing people with clothes and jewelry. So I think it's really cool. Are you full-time or part-time? So I, this is my like only income, but it's been cool. My friend, um, she owns a store in Trash, like Trash Vintage in Pilsen. And she kind of like helps me out by teaching me like what it takes to own a store from like just being outside. So yeah. Uh, I'm Jason Guzman. Uh, I sell Papel Picado, uh, traditional artwork. Um, how long have you been bending and why did you start? I started this year, but I've been working on this art for like the past two years, figuring out the different like I don't know cultures and history are you from Chicago uh, no I'm from the suburbs I moved here about a year ago are you a full-time artist or a part-time artist part-time I have a day job I do IT but really I'm passionate about this art what do you eventually want to do it like full-time like where do you see yourself doing when you're in a few years uh, I, I see myself I just I just want to I don't know spread the history and culture that, you know, uh, Mexico has. Did you always want to be an artist? Yeah, definitely. I always wanted to be an artist. I started out drawing and painting in high school. Then I dropped off the map. And now I'm back. Now that I'm in Chicago. Do you feel like your identity plays into, I guess, your passion for vending? Or I guess would you consider this as like art to you? Uh, definitely. I feel like styling and just knowing like what pieces might sell or might um, something someone might like, you know, it's just it is an art form in itself, I think. I recently realized I'm some shade of gender queer, so I'm still like figuring that out, which is really neat because it's such a good time. It's it sucks to be trans, but it's also such a good time because people are learning more generally. There's so much support, there's so much like experimentation and openness for trying out different clothes and makeup. For me, um, I'm basically just writing what stories feel real to me, and then when I look back on it, it turns out, oh, that character is gay, or that character is like living, navigating the world as like a fat woman and gets a lot of crap for it. And it's not like I try to tell these stories, I just tell my truth, and it turns out to be something that reflects a lot on my um, own identities. I suffer from imposter syndrome, so uh, this really helps me connect with my culture and history. I mean, I've always been into like vintage clothes, and I feel like you know, visuals and clothing. It's like a like 
it's like a, you're wearing a walking piece of art and that's how I like to express myself and like that's what I like to sell vintage clothes because you know they all have a piece of history and you know from, from vintage designers to just a little streetwear everything is different and unique and that's how you know that's what I like what does it mean to you to pursue and create art that is such a good question what does it mean to pursue and create art I think it's just having so many feelings that you just have to get it out in the world. I think a lot of people relate to that where we're like very artists are sensitive people. It's like we just feel so much. How do I how do I get this feeling out of my body because it's overwhelming. So in uh, high school I used to uh, sing and write music and playing guitar and piano and like haven't found that isn't really like meshed with my life in college and beyond but it's still a huge part of me and so I found like eventually just drawing kind of uh, worked out for me. Um, so many people are like, oh my gosh, how do you draw so well? It's like, I've drawn, a, I've drawn a lot, guys. I've drawn so, so much. And it's not because I sat down and I'm like, oh, I want to get better. So many, for years I drew and it didn't look so good. But I stuck with it because I just wanted to get those feelings out and I wanted to tell these stories. I mean, honestly, I always thought, you know, vintage clothes, fashion, you know, thrift things, I think I always thought it was so cool. I just never thought I could make it into a career. I mean, I used to do visual merchandising at a store, and I really enjoyed doing that. But doing this, I've only been doing this for maybe like four or five months. I really just started, but like I threw myself and I immersed myself like into this. I try to do as many events as I can and meet and network with all these people. And honestly, like I just love it so much. And it's like that cheesy saying, you if you what's that say how it goes? There it's like if you do what you love, it's not like you're working at all. I don't even feel like I'm working. Maybe, you know, I'll be like sweating, like setting up the racks and everything. But at the end of the day, like, I love it. Like, it goes by so fast and it's just so fun. And it's just like, I'd rather do this than be in a little office every day or like open and close that store from like a nine to five. This is my, this is my type of thing that I want to do and I love and I enjoy. Definitely, it's very physical, like, especially um, like through online shopping. It's like Depop, it's very kind of like transactional, but like seeing people face to face and seeing their faces like light up when they see like a nice top or cute like pants or skirt, like it's very like rewarding in itself at the end of the day. So it's like, oh, I helped somebody find a piece that they were looking for, so. What, uh, what tips would you give to somebody who's trying to start vending or develop their, their business? Like don't give up, like I promise you the first time you do it, maybe no one's gonna buy People are literally gonna walk by you or like question and say like things like, oh, I could have done this, I could have made it. Don't listen to them because if they really wanted to, they would and they're not. So just keep going. People are gonna say no, but you're just talking to the wrong people. I am so full of tips. I love to help people. I'll try to keep it short. Um, I will say, like I said um, before, is figuring out what you don't wanna do and just cross that off your list. Just don't even worry about it. Don't feel any pressure to do something a certain way just because you saw someone else do it. I will also say, there's no piece of advice that works for everyone. You're allowed to take advice, try it, and if it doesn't work, also throw that away. Just very much trimming the fat and figuring out what works for you. We're all different and we've all got different backgrounds, different opportunities. I myself am very, um, I'm very fortunate to live um, in the uh, suburbs of Chicago. There's so many conventions here, both big and small. There's also, um, I have friends in other cities, so, if you're looking, um, if you're an artist who's looking to get out there, just figure out like, what are your eventual goals and what are some fun ways to get there that get you really excited? Because if you're excited and passionate about your art, then you're gonna keep, uh, you're gonna stay motivated to actually stick with it. I think for like vending with vintage clothes or starting a business with, with anything you're selling, honestly, like go to a couple events, talk to the people around, 
if there's a certain like if someone's selling like a certain like piece of artwork and that's what they're selling talk to them about it give ask some tips for me when i was shopping at these vintage clothing events i would literally just like talk to the the vintage resellers ask them about questions or like you know just make conversations with them you know add them on social media and just if i ever had any questions they'd always help me out and i, ke I kept shopping and then eventually they're like I always see you here, you have good style, why don't you just sell yourself? And I was like, I don't know. Eventually, I just did it myself, and I'm never looking back. Starting a business in art takes a lot. It's a lot of time, a lot of money. Um, it's being out there, being social, even though I'm really extrovert, introverted. So uh, I'd say just keep going at it. Can you share a memorable moment in your artistic journey where you felt your art had a significant impact on you or other people? Um, just a little moment. The first time I was at a vendor sale, just like a couple months back, you know, it's the first sale, and just seeing people understand it and get it, it's like, oh, this is this 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 means like I don't know the history. It, it's significant. It has value. Yes, I think when I, I when I ever did my first market, which was like three years ago now, I never real I didn't think people would care enough to come and waste their day to come and like at a market. Like in my head, that didn't make sense to me at the time. But like seeing the turnout and just seeing how much fun everybody was having, and people literally called off work, or people like recently people have come from New York or Canada to like come to these markets, and it's like. I never realized how like stress relieving and how much fun it really could be until I started seeing it from the other side, not just as a vendor. Yeah. You guys are worldwide. <laughs> That's so cool. I have such a good answer for this one. Okay, so I went to I went to Lions Township High School in like Western Springs Lagrange, and like a lot of those students ended up going to um, College of DuPage, and College of DuPage actually happens to have an awesome yearly um, event. I think it's in the spring. It's called CodCon, CodCon.com, which is just very fun to say. Um, so it's just basically a gathering of people to do like play board games for a couple days and talk about anime and all kinds of stuff. So it was one of my first events, it was so much fun. I had my booth set up there and I'm like, hey, I draw comics just casually. There aren't a ton of comic readers out there like that you'll meet just on the street, but there's like, there are millions of people like constantly like reading webcomics. So I have a couple series on Webtoon and when I connect with someone on Webtoon, like, we both get excited because it's like, oh, I found another one. And so these two, these two young women, I think they might have been in high school or something. These two, uh, so these two people came up to me, and we were talking, and they said, "Oh, you're on Webtoon." They got so excited about it. I'm like, "Yeah." And we talked a little bit. They were so sweet. As they were walking away, they were like looking at each other, so giddy, and they said, "We met a real Webtoon artist." And I wanted to melt. I wanted to cry because I'm like, "I've made it. I'm not on Netflix. I don't have a series on Amazon Prime. Whatever." I, to them, I'm famous, and that means the world to me. Uh, do you feel pressured to make or vend items um, that are favorable to the demands of the market versus following your own artistic vision? I feel it right now. I'm not selling anything right now. But uh, yeah, I, tr I try to force Papel Picado. I see it as so much more than just simple tissue paper and novelty items. I do sell some horror art, movie art just to actually sell something. How do you find yourself like keep going like when an event doesn't go as you planned? Like, mm -hmm. just having that passion, you know. I, I really want to bring forth Mexican history, like authentic, traditional uh, artwork. A real inspiration for me is uh, this artist called Beatrice Vasquez, and she's in Indianapolis, and she does these ginormous ones, like uh, four by eight foot, and uh, she's a real inspiration to me. 
it's being out here even though nobody's buying and it's just pushing through. Shout out to all the vendors for taking the time to talk with us and thank you so much for listening. We will now be hearing from E. Similar to Get Flea, there's another public vending event coming up soon called Bratty Babes. It's hosted by none other than Brown Baby R on Instagram. If it's your first time hearing about them, Brown Baby R is a brown slash queer led Chicago based collective that brings artists together, of which they regularly host public vending and making events. Sorry, post public art vending and making events. I recently got to speak with the lovely Jason Tumulan, the co-founder of Brown Baby Art. Tune into the interview talking more on the on what Brown Baby Art is and their upcoming vending event, Ready Babes. Right. Thank you again for agreeing for this interview. Uh, my name is E. Rodriguez. I go by they, them pronouns, and I'm representing your local radio team. What's up? Uh, 105.5 Lumpen Radio. Uh, can you introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and we can start off with what is Brown Baby Art? Hey, uh, my name is Jason Tumalan. My pronouns are he, they. Brown Baby Art is a collective of artists. We try to curate art events to uplift BIPOC and queer artists. These events are free. The vendors don't have to pay a fee. And it's all about a lifting community and creating, you know, a more sustainable future for ourselves and for our artists. That's amazing. Um, can you describe the process leading up to like the creation of Brown Baby Art? Yeah, so it really started during the pandemic. I think for me, I was, I, I would always consider myself an artist, but during the pandemic is when I really started to invest in myself and I really started to delve into digital art. Um, and through that experience, I created art for campaigns slash organizations such as Cops Stop CPS, Raise Your Hand Illinois, Dice Centers, and uh, HANA Center. So pre-pandemic, I was already involving myself into social justice issues, um, but I think becoming a digital artist, like it, it helped me contribute more. And so at that time, I was also working at a thrift store. My co-founder, Jocelyn Barron, like I realized, we realized that there weren't a lot of spaces that existed solely for queer and BIPOC artists. So um, much less like free spaces where they could vend. There's always like a vending fee, which is really not affordable. Um, and so as a Latina, like trans identity, I wanted to be able to provide spaces for artists to not only sell their art, but to create community. Because honestly, at the end of the day, only we can help each other and rely on each other. So that's really how it like came to be, you know. Uh, segue to this question, why do you think it's an essential, essential to create an art space specifically for LGBTQ and BIPOC and undocumented and like folks with records? Mm, I think it's important to have spaces that like highlight marginalized communities. Um, I take a lot of what I stand for from activists such as like Miriam Kaba, Angela Davis, Asha and Destiny Harris, which are community organizers in Chicago. Um, and I feel like art has the power to heal and create joy within uh, people. It also has the capability to educate and build stronger communities. So that's why I'm like, let's have this for everyone, especially those who are the most targeted by police or the most targeted by these systems that are in place that are not helping our communities. And uh, what are you hoping to achieve through Brown Baby Art? Um, I think I wanna have more consistent events. I just been so, busy with work and school, and I think also mental health as well. Um, but I wanna have consistent events where vendors can sell, trade their art at. I wanna have workshops that educate, but is also like a storytelling for the artists so they can actually like, you know, show and share who they are as individuals and how can we support each other. Um, and I wanna eventually expand and have a space where we can have free programming or 
share resources uh similar to yolo kali as well so yeah i see similarities oh my god that's amazing talking about these events uh what goes into hosting your art vending and making events such as bratty babes or cotton the days i think the whole process of like organizing art events it's first coming up with a theme what do people want to see uh creating art flyers i'm the one that's in charge of creating the art flyers so all the art that you see on the page is my art um and so creating forms that acquire artists so like having that google form okay what kind of questions are we gonna ask on the google form i think one of the major ones is like also asking you know what communities do you come from because we try to reach out to those people who are the most marginalized um figuring out decorations um i think doing outreach for most of it um i think the most difficult part is finding a space um to have these art events at uh, we pay everything out of pocket so as someone who is a marginalized identity and is also struggling financially it's pretty hard um but whenever that happens i reach out to my community i post something on instagram i'm like okay does someone have a space available so i can have this event asking to use your backyard or reaching out to organizations who have the space available. Um, and this is all simultaneously happening while I'm doing my regular job or I'm doing school or I'm doing homework. So it's very stressful, but it's also rewarding because at the end of the day, I see that connection between the different artists and I see them like, okay, now they're making these connections and we're creating this bigger community and we're expanding on Brown Baby Art. So. So um, I do follow you guys. I've been like kind of keeping an eye on you guys for a while. Um, <laughs> and uh, I catch your call to vendors post on Instagram. Uh, can you describe the, the type of vendors you that apply to your events? Mm. Um, well, I think we get all types of vendors, to be honest. A lot of them are very are self-taught. Um, and I think I say we have like a half and half batch of experienced vendors and vendors who are new to the scene. Um, and then whenever we're looking through the vendor list, we want to ensure that, you know, we also include new vendors. Our, our main focus at the end of the day is getting those vendors that are the most marginalized. So we that's how we might majorly like pick. We're just like, OK, well, who's the most marginalized and how they've been at one of our events before. All right. And you say that you have like a, a, like a half and half batch of like experience and new. Um, is there any advice you have for vendors um, who are looking to sell at your events? I think honestly, just be yourself, like, and have fun, know your worth. I've come a lot of, uh, I've come across a lot of like vendors, and myself included, to be honest, who lowball themselves and their prices. And although, yes, like, you know, we want to make our art cheap so everyone can buy it, that's not sustainable to us. So, like, you know, know your worth, make sure you put prices on where you're going to like benefit. You know, at the end of the day, those vending spaces are for you to benefit. So, you need to, you know, figure out your pricing so um, you can get some profit back. And, you know, I need to <laughs> do the same thing, but it's like, I am always out to trade. So that's one of my, I feel like that's also a currency as well, because you're creating that um, connection, that community, like with trading art. That's, oh, that's so amazing. It's like a lot of community and networking at your events. And is there any advice you have for folks who want to do similar work in uplifting artists such and with events like yours? Honestly, I think it's just about like getting a group together and just doing it, um, being organized and assigning each other tasks, but also holding one another accountable. Okay, well, you need to do that task or else, you know, we're not going to get the work done. So I think also like social media influence is a big one. I mainly use like social media as a means to boost our events. 
Um, but I, I think I also want to expand on that and like give out flyers. I think that's another good good form of like creating that connection with someone else where they can come in and show up at our events. Really think about what kind of collective you want to create. You have to set a community agreements and really reflect on why you want to do this work and why is it important to you. I think that's a that's a really big one. Um, you know, why do you want to get into this work in the first place? That's beautiful. Um, and you kind of touched this in the first question, but what is the future for brown baby art? What events or goals are you thinking of? I want to expand on the brown baby art community. Uh, seek funding for upcoming events, possibly apply to grants, um, and start collaborating with like individual artists to host workshops. Um, and then we also have a film coming up. So I'm working on, with one of my friends on this film, um, which is about like, it's a documentary on queer artists and activists in Chicago, which should be coming out sometime soon, like either this year or early next year. So I'm really excited about that. I think it'll be fun to like sh have like a, like a movie like showing, you know, and then have vendors and stuff. But ultimately I think my end goal is really buying up a storefront or opening up a space and having like, ha like us having that, like owning that. So we don't have to worry about like, okay, well we need a space. Well, now we have one and now we can share that with everyone else. So I think that's my end goal. No, that's amazing. And talking more about the movie, uh, what's the movie called? And like, who is there someone like a account that you could account that we could follow for this? Is the movie is called For Us. I think I'm working on a flyer right now, but honestly, it should be like on my personal, like updates and stuff should be on my personal about the uh, the film. But we're probably going to start boosting it because there's going to be an exhibit soon uh, in the fall. I, I'd say just watch out on my Instagram my personal Instagram, which is Jason Tumalan, my first and last name. Well, thank you. Um, I think that is it for this interview. Thank you again for your time. And is there any last thoughts before, you, before we wrap up? I just thank you. I appreciate you. I'm honored to be, you know, interviewed. But I, like, I'm glad that you guys reached out to me. Like, like the work that you guys are doing is awesome as well. Oh my God, that's really sweet. <laughs> Especially because again, I've been eyeing your account forever. I've been trying to like go, um, but hopefully I can catch your next event, which please care to talk about that, Braddy Babes. Yeah, Braddy Babes, August 12th. How did I forget? <laughs> um, so right now, so we're right now we're looking into um, an indoor space. It's gonna be Brad Steen coming your cutest clothes, please. Like I'm so excited. But yeah, just watch out for more like information and then location update on the Brown Baby Art page. Just to like um, get like a general basis, what is Brown Baby Art? Like what, what can we expect to see when we're there? Sorry, uh, Braddy Babe. Oh, um, a ton of artists. There's gonna be print, there's gonna be crocheted items. There's gonna be uh, like clothes, recycled clothes, um, made clothes. Um, oh, there's someone gonna be selling uh, nails. Like, oh, what are those called? Like the, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> like acrylic nails? Yeah, like sets. I really hope, like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, it's gonna be such a good day. Oh my God, I can't wait. Um, I think that is it for the interview. Again, thank you again for agreeing. We It was lovely to have you here. Thank you again, Jason, for your time. Just to repeat, Brown Baby Art on Instagram is hosting their second annual Braddy Babes event on August 12th. Maybe you'll find me there. 
With all that being said, we've reached the end of What's Up, Humans in the Chicago Art Scene. Woohoo! We learned a lot about the hierarchies of art and how art forms like street art are perceived or criminalized based on instilled beliefs. We also got to listen firsthand about the experiences of art artists who have grown up teaching themselves everything they know and artists who have decided to continue their artistic learning further by going to a post-secondary school. And we also got to listen to some super cool Chicago vendors. They shared us they shared with us some behind the scenes of what it's like to sell and live off your art in Chicago. Thank you for listening to What's Up on WLPN LP Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM Chicago. Broadcasting live from Studio A. My name is Eileen, joined by Araceli, Maru, E, Sam, and Ariandi. From all of us, thank you for tuning in. Go create some art and have a lovely day. And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at. Oh, not you again. No! And y'all, who let her back in? <laughs> and that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard heartwarming interviews, tear jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices. Because God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow YOLO on all their social medias at YOLO Kali. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that. Period. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of What's Up?